Welcome back to the Next Brave Thing podcast. My name is Ella Hooper, and I'm excited that you're joining today because I have my beautiful mom, Di Hooper, joining me. And she, if you go back to season one, you can see her episode that we did. Um, I think it's episode number nine. But today we're focusing on um, the topic of rejection, which is not the most fun topic, but we wanted to shed some light on rejection and um, give you some hope on how to move through it and not stay stuck in your rejection. And in this episode, my mom is diving deep into um, the first three weeks of what ended up being the end of my parents' marriage. It is a sensitive topic, but my mom is a beautiful storyteller and she has so much wisdom to offer. So enjoy the episode today. Please feel free to share with your friends, download the episode, write a review, and um, enjoy this episode. Hi, Mom. It's so good to have you on the podcast again. Thanks, Ella. It's fun to be here. Yeah, you're very popular. I have so many people reaching out to me saying, like, I can listen to you and your mom. <laughs> That's so sweet. I yeah. Love yeah, it's really fun. And we got to spend four months together in person. That was so beautiful. I really grieve when you left. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was so special. Mom and I um, developed a little bit of a routine. She, I would work from home and then you would get home from work and then I would take your car, go to Pilates <laughs> and then we cook dinner and just like the normal, doing normal life with you was really um, like going to the grocery store. <laughs> really yeah, good. And that's what made it hard when you left. I'd get home from work and you're not there. I I'd know. Go just Eastland shopping and you're not with me. You know, it was <laughs> really know. hard. <laughs> I know it's very hard, but we FaceTime all the time, don't we? We do, but what made it so hard because you were in transit for quite a few days and busy. We yeah. didn't FaceTime for nearly a week, I think, and that was oh yeah, really hard. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh well, guys, if you're listening, my mom is like my best friend. Best. I mean, I have lots of best friends, but you're my best, 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 best friend. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, so same, same. Beautiful. Same, same. Pretty special. Um, it wasn't like that as I was growing up, though. I think no. your relationship with your parents can't really be best friendy. Maybe it can be, but when you're little, no. no. Yeah, we've grown a lot, haven't we? We have, both of us have been on a good growth journey, haven't we? Yes, yes. And it takes two. It does so, take two. Yeah, it can't just be one person no, trying to figure out. So true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so um, for everyone listening, you kind of heard a little bit behind the scenes of um, a bit of our family story. And, um, you've heard a little bit about mom walking through divorce. And I just felt like it would be powerful to have you on today, mom, because you, um, are such a picture of healing, um, of moving through a really hard breakup, obviously. And we're going to dive into the topic of rejection because I, I see rejection, um, really take its toll on people. And um, so I'm going to have mum share some of um, really the three three weeks of when everything blew up in her marriage. 
and um, it's very personal. So, and I think living in America, people are very big on own your story, share your story. And I notice, like, oh, it's kind of vulnerable sharing stuff like this, knowing Australians are listening when it's not as common, but it happens, but it's not as common in the Aussie culture. Would you, would you feel that could be true? I agree. And because it's close to home, like all my family's here, it, yes. you know, it is vulnerable and I've been reticent to share it, but I'm going to keep it beautiful. You know, this is not just my story. It's your dad's story as well. And mm-hmm. I have in the past when I share my story, I really just want to show up beautiful. I want yeah. to be honoring with him. Um, yeah, so it's not a gossip sesh, you know, no. we're not going to get into lots of detail. I want to keep the detail minimum. I have to share a little bit of detail and I yes. think people relate to that. Mm. But I want to keep that minimum. This will be more about my inner world, mm-hmm. which is yeah. my story. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think that when you a sign of real healing, like when people do share their stories is when there's like, are really, and it's very hard to do. So I don't say this lightly, but when there is forgiveness and, um, yeah. And I love it because you really don't carry that heaviness, um, of a divorce or that label of divorce. Um, because I think that's, that's a part of when we go through pain, we, I over identify with the story that happened to us. And I think even, you know, our listeners would have listened to my story with Georgia, my, one of my best friends. And I'm so proud of her because it's really, um, I feel like so many people are suffering in silence and because people aren't brave enough to share their stories. And so that's why we're sharing this story today because there's the suicide rate is too high people are silent in in their pain and i i want to i don't know create a a podcast where people feel less alone in the world so so good ella thanks mum um <laughs> thanks <laughs> um okay so let's dive into we've got a bit of a timeline of these 3 weeks and we might bounce into other stories that I have personally about rejection and, you know, obviously was affected by this experience too. So, um, but let's take us in. Where would you like to begin, mum? I just want to preface it by saying um, that we had, we were really solid or we felt really solid. We deeply love each other, loved each other. And I still believe we do have a deep respect and love for each other. We really respect each other's strengths. Um, but we had 29 years of sort of dysfunction around emotional connection. We were both scared and that's not uncommon. That's quite common. We're afraid to be vulnerable and connect deeply emotionally. But we had a, did have a lot of emotional connection around the tough stuff we went through. So... You know, we had many joy-filled years, many extremely difficult, challenging times we went through as well. And we were strong. Um, but we're only as strong as our emotional connection is. And I think 
one of us was brave and in an act of, hey, I want to call, call for help. I need help. Um, it wasn't the most healthy way to ask for help, um, but it, it brought something to a head that needed to be addressed. So it was at the end of the year, um, toward the end of the year, um, your dad moved to Queensland for a six-month contract, <clears throat> and it wasn't wise for the whole family to move. Or We had two boys still living at home, or three actually, but two still at school. And just being year 12, you know, um, um, captain or vice captain of school, it wasn't wise to take one out and take him to Queensland. You know, we had to stay home for this six months. So it was fine for the first couple of months and then we had um oh it was a difficult conversation. We we bumped heads, we didn't see eye to eye as it was on Boxing Day um in two thousand and eleven. And after that came 10 days of silence there I would reach out I'd send photos and he wasn't responding and that's when you know rejection hit me in the gut it was like a knife turning in Mm. me and um I have a deep spiritual journey that I've been on and I, I know from my experience 13 years earlier, I know I've mentioned this before on your podcast, I had a spiritual encounter where I experienced incredible love. And when I'm embraced and held and swimming in that love experience, I actually can't fear and mm-hmm. I'm fully alive. And so I'd had 13 years of practicing coming back to that. Um, that centeredness of feeling loved. And I, and I developed a catchphrase for my life to live loved. It doesn't matter what circumstance I'm in. I can actually find that love and live loved in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I, that became my, my desire. How can I still live loved in the middle of this rejection? So I, I, it was a bit of a roller coaster ride of feeling yeah. the pain. Yeah. And coming back to that. Yeah. And um yeah, I mean, I can imagine ten days of silence. Um, what were the stories you were making up about yourself when there was no response? Yeah, well, it was definitely he doesn't want me, he doesn't want to be with me, he doesn't love me. Um, mm. I'm unlovable. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you make him out to be the villain. Um, and I actually want to point out in, in my di- in my journal, I've got it open here. I've got this big boot drawn and it's mm-hmm. about to crush me. And I felt the silence felt like control. Um, it felt like his fear or something was way bigger than me and was about to crush me. I felt so small. I felt um, overwhelmed. This crushing was scary. I felt unknown or both of us felt unknown, not heard, invalidated. Mm-hmm. And I very, felt very much intimidated by this wall of silence. 
Yeah. And I can, uh, and oh, go ahead. Oh, I just, no, you go, you go. Yeah. And I can imagine after 29 years of marriage, five plus two, so seven children and a whole lot of history, it would feel incredibly high stakes, that silence. That's right. And like, very I threatening. Believe, I couldn't believe this was happening to me. You know, it wasn't, I didn't have any, anything to say, this is it. I was supposed to be going up there for a couple of weeks holiday. Um, but I think we were both feeling in that time. I don't really want to be with you. You know, this is hard. I don't know how to get close to you. This is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all that going through my mind. And, but in my journal, I actually wrote that, I drew a picture of that big boot. Mm sort of get it out of my system and look at it a bit more objectively. And I drew me, this tiny little figure afraid with this big boot about to to crush me. But then I could see I had enough awareness around our little person inside. I've got away more now, but then I knew this is just a little dirty feeling really scared and it's big, little, little steady, you know, with his big boot trying to squash mm. my fear and we're all trying to manage each other's fear. Yeah. Um, so then I could have more compassion for that little person who's trying to crush me, you know, trying yeah. to stand out my fear. Um, yeah. And just to jump in there, um, what mum's talking about, the little person, when we're triggered, um, we are in a child's brain, like, it's it's always our child self and so it's like when we're triggered and disconnected it's two little kids trying to be heard trying to be understood trying to you know it's not adults um enlightened brain and so yeah but that that makes sense yeah yeah that's good well what i did then is i thought okay what's living love look like i can actually become this big person who you know if I'm filled with love how would I respond to this little person with the big boot that's trying to crush me I would be actually much bigger and um, I could see in this it's not actual rejection that's my enemy here it's my fear my own fear of rejection it became obviously to me this is like in that silence period became obvious to me there's different ways of seeing here how am I looking at this situation what's my focus is it focus him the villain I'm the the you know the victim here or is it hey you know this this is about me becoming something so I I swore very early on in this that actually I'm going to be I'm going to become bigger than my fear yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned kind of seesawing between, cause it's such a process. Cause I, I counsel people and have gone through my own rejection pain as well. You kind of have this expansive, well, I'm amazing. Like you have this connection to, well, I'm going to connect to love. Um, and then you, something comes up a memory or something triggers you back into the basement, into the pits um, so you're out of this high place into this pit. So tell me a little bit about that seesaw for you. Yeah, look, I 
definitely and always at night time it was worse you know you might start you might get yourself into a good spot in the morning but you'll lose it over the day um well I clung to my faith that's like when you're in these situations you are the call out for God help me or but I already had strong faith practices so I dove into them you know I'd be scribing verses into my bible uh, into my journal from the bible that would build courage in me i'd put on worship music i'd sing i'd try and think about what god's like and i had um i'd had 10 years of listening to this guy called graham cook who is a very courageous man and i've i'd been on an identity journey for that long and I'd gone, I found a quote of his and I rewrote it like etching it into my heart. I need, this is my true desire and I'm going to read that quote out. This is Graham Cook. I trust God so much, I'm prepared to trust people fully again. I don't care if people wound me or hurt me, I can get healed. It's what comes out of me that's more important than what happens to me. So I do trust people and I'll get betrayed and I'll get wounded and I'll get taken for a ride again, but I don't care. I still want to trust. I've made up my mind. I want to be an innocent. There is no purity without innocence. I refuse to live with wariness, with suspicion, with mistrust. I want to trust people. I want to believe the best about people. I want to live according to to Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is a long quote, but I think it's worth it. Graham went on to say, I don't want to do violence to my own spirituality. And in my words, I wrote, which is my freedom, my joy, my total abandonment, my peace, my rest, my fullness of love. Back to Graham. I'd much rather be taken and wounded than actually live wary, suspicious, mistrustful and with a wall up. If you have a wall up against people, guess who else can't get in? God. For all our suspicion and wariness, the one person we keep out is the one person we want to let in. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. It's really gutsy that is gutsy and I want to be that gutsy person so I would strengthen myself by you know dwelling on these things yeah and and recommitting my life to trust Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so that's that's the roller coaster yeah and it's such a meditation though right it's that's why meditation is so powerful when you're in pain because your pain wants to dictate your thoughts. And I remember even because, um, yeah, part of what your therapist told you in that time is just to have 15 minutes where you focus, was it 15 minutes on nothing or something, just to like still your mind? Yeah, because yeah, that, was, that, was, that was, I didn't have a therapist yet. I'm a year out from having this, therapy. Yeah, this is probably, yeah. that was probably fast forward. You got a therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and okay. So like coming back to the story, dad's moved away and mm-hmm. you're, um, yeah. And he, he's told you basically he wants a break. Okay. That, that came about 10 days, 
into the silence. Um, yeah, he said he wants a break. And that's such a shock to me. This, I mean, I could never see this happening. Um, I called an emergency coffee morning with my Yarda girls. There's five of us that, you know, do life together. How many and, years have you, mum has her group of girlfriends. She's, I feel like I was in high school, maybe in elementary school, primary school. It's 20 years, I think. 20 years. Yes. Yeah, we keep debating which year we started. I think it's around 2003. Yeah. Maybe. yeah. You've got to have your girlfriends, guys. <laughs> yeah. They're just brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, um, I was sharing with them, like he wants a break and my immediate reaction is you can have your break. Um, because I thought if I want to go and rescue the situation, I get myself up to Queensland, try and patch this up. It's still going to be the same dysfunction going forward. I really wanted help going forward and we'd never had couples therapy. So I, you know, I wasn't keen on more of the same. So I thought, let's have a break. Let's make our messes. Let's be messy, you know, and deal with what happens with having a break. So I got it, you know, I was able to work that through with my friends. They're so wise. Um, But one of them asked this brilliant question, how do you want to show up, die? Well, that that was amazing. And I wrote some words down about how I wanted to show up in my journal. Um, I want to show up loved, unafraid, assured, elegant, gracious, peaceful, confident, joyful, at rest, powerful and free. You know, it's that's who I want to be no matter what comes against me. Mm. So I had this picture, a vision of who I'm becoming in this. Okay, my inner world has to do a lot of expanding for me to become that. Mm. And I really believe unless we have a vision of who we're becoming, we cannot crawl out of pain. Yes. If we can't see a purpose in the pain, how can you ever crawl out of it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is why stories and why we're doing this podcast, because you need to gather evidence of people who have come out the other side of pain. And they're unshakable, you know, and it's interesting because what I noticed in you is you're so less intimidated by hard things, like, (laughs) because you know how loved you are, you know, so. um, Oh, I don't like hard things. I kick and scream and I do not wish them upon myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so powerful. And I remember you telling me about a dream that you had in this time. And I don't know on our side of things. Um, I, I think I was in, it was, it was a shock to the system when you first told us for sure. And I think because it feels really, I mean, growing up Christian, it's very much like you don't get divorced or people are talked about who get divorced in like a really not kind way. (laughs) So you kind of are like, you go into what people think about you. um, And also like your naive bubble gets 
I don't know, you, you're experiencing, for me, it was like, oh, I'm really experiencing the harder side of life or this idea I have of who we sh- how family should be is kind of being crushed, you know? Um, but I remember you having a dream. So three years, was yeah. this three years earlier to the, yes, the, the break? Earlier. Yeah. And I, I got up in the morning and I quickly wrote it down. I remembered all the detail, could feel it. So I thought, oh, this is one of those divine dreams. So um, myself and the seven children were all on an outcrop of land, a bit like a peninsula and overlooking the sea. And I could see this gigantic wave way in the distance, a wall of water coming toward us. And I felt calm, but I said, kids, run for high ground. We have to boot it, boost it up to high ground or we're going to get swamped. Um, and in our running, I didn't feel any panic. I felt peace. But as we were running, I saw a wall of water up on our left-hand side, right up close, standing still like, you know, I thought, oh, wow, this is miraculous. It's like the Red Sea, parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> it's this wall of water. Keep running, kids. And I had, you know, the little one's hand running in Ezra's hand. I was hanging on tight. And then on our right side, this another enormous wall of water just standing there I thought right just keep running but then the the two walls met and we were tossed like in a washing machine just tossed and I felt the grip I was hanging on hard to Ezra's hand and his fingers got lost he he slipped away and all I thought was oh god you have to look after him I can't do anything and then instantly the water's were you know all went away we were standing on dry ground and just laughing and dancing like that's that's crazy we were all okay and I woke up so when this this event happened in our marriage I thought ah this is a tsunami this wall of silence this wall of our fears feels like the tsunami and it's swamping me it's going to swamp us but I felt so much courage knowing, but we come out okay. Yeah. I know for me and the kids, we come out okay. Your dad wasn't in the dream. So, you know, I just, but I knew our little family was going to be fine. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I remember prefacing me telling you guys, hey, I've got this dream and this is strengthening me. Mm-hmm. And I want to encourage mm-hmm. you with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so stressful telling you. So stressful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Anxiety was high. Yes, totally. And I guess like, and we've said this at the start of the podcast, but we really, um, wholeness doesn't need to villainize anyone. And, Mm. but there is a pro, it's not like, I think there's also perfectionism of like, well, I'm going to be positive and that's like false toxic positivity. Like you really have explored all of the villains, like the, the nasty, the cruel side of this experience. Like you've felt through it all. Um, and I will probably on my side, like of, of seeing you walk through this, I had no grid for 
processing pain then, obviously, and a lot of us don't. And so, but you would say things like, I'm going to sit in this pain. And I remember being really offended by that and being really um, scared of that because I thought my mom's like going to like fall apart. I can't have my mom fall apart. And I was scared of that. And the control in me of like, but you just have to get on with life. Like the fear of, um, yeah, like the idea of sitting in pain felt really like, but won't it swallow you whole? Like, so tell me about sitting in pain. Yeah, it definitely feels like, well, pain will feel like it will swallow you up. And I think, um, I love what Justin and Abby talk about in their Living Fully Alive course. They say we all live with, say, out of zero to 10, maybe a level eight pain. And we think if we're going to sit with it, it's, we're going to, it's going to go off the charts and it'll kill us. You know, mm. it'll swamp us. But if we just take that moment to sit in it, it'll probably hit 10, but then it'll drop back down to two. Yes. And wouldn't you rather live in a level two? pain anxiety than constantly living in level eight you know it just makes sense to do that and that's what I found I I I didn't know anything about their teaching then but it was more if I don't sit with this I cannot I cannot get free from this pain like yeah it, it, it it um you know paralyzed me I felt like I couldn't keep going by not sitting in it. Yeah. Yeah. I was forced to. Look, I'm hungry. I just hunger after peace mm. and and that love feeling and uh, that's why I'll fight for it. Yeah. yeah. And I think the pain is if we don't sit with the pain, that's how bigger blow-ups happen. Like yeah. that's how bigger messes are made. That's how oh, yeah. um we're always on the edge, aren't we? We're just on the edge. Yeah, on edge, like about anxious, to about mm. to blow up. Yeah, and and it's it's really pain when it's unchecked. Um, it starts to control you rather than you being in control of it. Unfortunately, so yeah. And I know Justin and Abby talk about dirty pain versus oh, clean pain. Brilliant. So can you explain that? Oh, I, re- I I didn't do their course until 2019, but in 2015 when we were going through really deep, fresh pain, um, I realised my re- I would feel really small in rejection and want to kick and scream and run. I want to run from this. This is not safe to be around. And then I'd realise, oh, that's that's just my rejection talking to me and I could objectify it, put it outside myself. And I realized what held me in constant pain was my own judgment Mm. on myself, my own self-criticism, my own shame and my own fear were actually, there was the, there was the natural pain of being hurt, something of being betrayed. There was that natural pain, which should hurt, but I kept it darker and longer and it, it controlled me because my pain, my self-judgment and my fear like were hooked it and pulled it in. So it became my identity. And I didn't have any language around that, but I'd figured it out. 
with it, I'd figured out, hey, what keeps me in this pain pain state? It was my those three things that I travel with. Um, and it wasn't until I did the course they gave me beautiful language for it. There's clean pain and dirty pain. And they and they actually said the three things that cause hook you into dirty pain that make pain dirty are your own inner critic, it's your own shame and your own fear that are making keeping the pain dirty. They murky it up. And I think most of the pain that we carry inside of us is dirty pain. Mm. Because we're not aware of our own self criticism. We're not aware of our own our shame. We're not ready to admit our shame. Yeah. 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 And Brene Brown calls shame the swamp yard of the soul, the deep oh. feeling of deep unworthiness and unworthy yeah. of belonging and love. Yes. And yeah. So tell me more about what it means to surrender and yeah, because I think and it's interesting, like I life coach people from different cultures, so the word surrender means different things. Mm. Um, surrender doesn't mean to give up. Surrender means to give unto. So it's okay. a um, it's a handing over to something bigger than you. And it's we all have experiences in life that go beyond us, like. A divorce, um, tr- so a traumatic incident, like they go beyond our logic and our ability to problem solve. And we have uncertainty. And that's why both of us are deeply spiritual people, because once you have a bit more life on you, you're like, oh, there's this place where it life can be incredibly out of control. So tell me a bit about that. I always... You know, for 10 years I've been listening to Graham Cook and he'd, um, he, he had trained me into believing every situation has a gift for you. There's a gift in this for me um, because, well, God is a good God and he can only give good gifts. So, you know, that takes a lot for the head to comprehend. It, mm. It's a lot. Especially you, just to go on the God is good part. Yeah, yes. When your circumstances aren't good, it doesn't feel like God is good. Oh, totally. And it, uh, yeah, it's a very, like, there, when we have pain, it's really hard to see uh, where God's at. So, yeah, I just wanted to and, jump and in. And I think we often have humans in our God spot. They're the only example we see. So God yeah. is like a human, you know. Yeah. Um, the reason I had my love encounter all those years earlier is because we were on shaky ground in our marriage at that time and I wasn't happy and I had to face, well, what if I lose everything that's, you know, mm-hmm. dear to me? What if I lose yeah. my my image of family, my dreams for my marriage? And and I had to, well, I didn't have to, but I weighed up what I love or what I don't like about my marriage and, and then said, well, God, you say you're good. So I'm just going to exercise ruthless trust here that if I lose everything, you'll be enough for me. And that's a couple of days later, I had this love encounter and I thought, oh, wow, 
you really are enough. You are enough for me. So, um, so life is an opportunity to learn to trust and that's really difficult. So I woke up one morning, say 4.30, I'd only had a few hours sleep and I woke up feeling pain in my gut because I'd had a dream of him, um, you know, having an affair and, and it just felt so real and my fear was high. And you know what? I'd given him the freedom to do that. Yep. Let's have our break. Um, so I, I just thought I have to come to peace. I, I just had so much anxiety in my gut. So I got my journal out and I thought the only way to come to peace is to actually look at my fears head on. So I wrote them out, everything I was afraid of. And you know, I, I was, lo- I had this, I could lose so much. Everything I loved about him, his strengths, his brilliance, his intelligence, his giftedness, his determination. I'm losing this man. Um, what, what was this going to do to my kids, especially the youngest? You know, he's only 10. Um, real fears I put out on that page and I just had to go back to trust. And I thought, but I want to, I could hang on to these precious things that I could lose I could hang on to them but if I pray oh God you've got to save my marriage oh God change him oh God you know fix this so I don't lose it these things become like an idol of mine and I'm clinging to them and my fear is going to stay with me Mm -hmm. I'm going to be ever heightened with this tight grip I've got on my things so I thought, I don't want to live in that fear. I'm actually going to bully fear. I learned that term later, but I'm going to bully my fear by facing it and say, okay, if you happen, I'm going to trust you, God, with my precious past, with my vulnerable present and my tender future. I have no idea what my future looks like, and it's very tender. But I, I drew a picture in my journal of my open hand giving him these three things <clears throat> in exchange for his love. If I can just live loved, mm. you can have these things because I know you will be enough for me. <clears throat> and that was such a beautiful moment. It brought me to such peace. It was beautiful. Yeah. But over the next couple of days, Again, the pain, you know, it would be different things that were said or not said or where the money was spent or things like that. It was that would be, again, like a knife in through my shoulder blade into my heart, twisting, you know, that pain was excruciating and I could not live with that pain. So I'd come back to this whole thing as a gift to me. I've gifted him my future um, because I used to say, there's a gift for me in this, but in those days I got to saying this whole thing is a gift for me and I want to suck every morsel out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that devastating pain never came back that, that high. Yeah. That. Once I'd accepted this whole thing is a gift for me. Yeah. And I think, um, 
And I love that you share that because what, who you became in that process is priceless. Mm. And I think that we go through seasons of life of loss and um, sometimes we're trying to keep something alive that really is dead. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I really do think we have versions of ourselves as we evolve. And if we don't evolve, we also have versions of ourselves that, you know, we then become a shell of a human sometimes because we haven't learned to heal our pain. And, um, What's beautiful is you, like you mentioned, you had a high vision of yourself, your true self, because I think rejection will always want you to feel small and label you as worthless or nothing. And I love how even in um, like talking about dad, there's been a sense of like, like you mentioned how you see yourself, but also actually my lens gets to change about how I see you. So tell me about that. Yeah, it was, I remember one night just might've been the day after all the night of him saying he wants a break. And I was sitting on the couch, um, oh, excruciating pain, watching something on TV um, and thinking, hey, we, we've done this together. You know, we've done this together for years and I feel abandoned right now. Mm-hmm. And I was villainizing him and rightly so, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah. have abandoned me. I'm here with all the kids. I'm yeah. abandoned. Totally. Uh, and so alone and um yeah, looking and you know, thinking but if we break up, we probably got 20 grandchildren coming our way and we're not going to be together to share the joy of that. Yeah, all the, all those things flooding in on me. And the pain was so great. I got myself up off the couch. I thought I just have to go to my room and get to my journals and pour it out because I just can't live with this. Um, and as I was heading towards my room, it's like I had a brilliant thought. It's like, but what is his truest self? Who is he really? My inner world shifted with that. You know, it's, it depends on our, our inner world depends on our focus. You know, Mm. what am I focusing on? Him, the villain or his truest self. So yeah, that was. Yeah. And I think as you do your own healing of taking ownership of your side, because I think there's two sides of every story, like, Dad has his side of the story. Yes. So, and you have your side of the story. And the more you focus on working on your own self rather than trying to fix someone else to make you okay, because that's a huge thing. <laughs> like when you just focus on you and learn to give compassion to the parts of you that haven't shown up well it's out of your abundance of compassion towards yourself. You actually have compassion for the other person because you also know like you're just acting out of like your childhood, your experience, like, and just for the um, mum's kind of like gone into a three week part of the journey, but it was a whole process of like um, constantly meditating and like coming back to, and then 
Um, I know you guys were separated and then there was the coming back together and working it out and, and getting counseling and the going through counseling and then really trying and really fighting for it. Like it wasn't like all of a sudden the marriage is ending. That was a long process. And I think for me, I was like, just be done. Just be, just get divorced. I was like, so done. Um, and I was living in America by this time, but I remember because you really, and I respect it now, obviously standing back, I can go like understand why it takes so long because breakups do take a long time. Like it's a whole process and only the couple know what's really happening. Like I can have my opinion as my, as a child, (laughs) but ultimately like it's really between you two. So, um, but I remember you came to, um, I think it was your first time. I think I was, it was my third year living in America and then you came and visited and I remember you had, and that you had just like the divorce was decided. I think you were finding a place, you were rebuilding your life. And then you came and visited me in America. And I was like, who is this woman? You had so much energy. And, um, I was like, you have more energy than me. Like what is happening? And, um, it was so hopeful for me to see like, Actually, you get to rebuild your life. Like you get to dream again. You get to think about, you know, what, you know, obviously facing all the worst case scenarios and then realizing, because I think it also threatens like, what am I, finances, like, what am I going to do? And, Mm -hmm. and just seeing everything kind of fall into place as you surrendered, like just observing your journey. So, yeah. Yeah. It was so so worth, so it. worth it, all of it. And yeah. what was also really healing is because I hadn't really, I think because I was back in Australia for four months. And so I saw you and dad together and we did family things. Like we had Charlotte's wedding and we had um, Ezra's birthday or like, or there was just different things. And then Addie was born and it was just really sweet to have like, feel like, Oh, our, our family's like at peace. There's peace. Mm. Like there's no weirdness. Mm. It's, it's, there's just respect and like, okay, this is our life now. And so that was just really good for my heart to experience. And I know not everyone's story is that. Um, but yeah. And, and we've had that in the past few years too. Um, right. But I just wasn't there. You haven't been here. That's right. right. So that's really sweet. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you, that was such a gift, your four months here. Yeah, so. totally. Um, well, mum, thank you so much for sharing your story today. And is there anything that you'd want to say to someone who is walking through what feels like an impossible breakup or divorce? Um, what would you, what would you say to them? Definitely get some help around it. Mm-hmm. You know, go get some therapy. Yeah. Um, have a trusted one or two wise friends mm-hmm. call them in if you don't have them ask for them hey i need some good friends to to mm-hmm. to walk through with you that was invaluable for me and even though surrender is a dirty word you actually have the courage inside you to do it 
It does take courage. You do have the courage inside you Mm. to face your fears. Everyone has enough courage inside them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just learning how to pull it up. Mm. Yeah. And I think my faith journey definitely helped me pull that up. Yeah. And And then you get a track record with surrender. You're like, oh, that time I surrendered, that worked out. Oh, it worked out that time. It worked out that time. And I know that it's not as simple as that, but, but, you know, I don't surrender unless I'm in a corner kicking and screaming and stuck. Yeah. You know, there's no way I'm going to surrender voluntarily every day. Yeah. It's until I feel stuck. And it's, yeah, a very hard place to be in. And there's often a lot of grief that comes with surrender, but grief is better out than in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's so that's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for joining, Mum. We're Thank gonna you. have you back again because it's yeah. so. Good. And there's more to this story. I know. There's <laughs> a lot to the story, but there's a little taster for you guys. Well, thanks for joining me, Mum, and um, thanks for listening in, everyone. Thanks, Ella.